Hello and welcome inside the Sacred Video Vault. I'm your host, JB. Hey, and I'm your other host, Eddie. So, uh, last time we spoke, it was for the WWE No Mercy reactions. Uh, have you recovered since then? Yeah. Yeah. Brock Lesnar's still the worst? Yeah, uh, no, I don't, I don't admit that on live, on a, on a mic. You can keep that to yourself. <laughs> Alright, well, ladies and gentlemen, today we are shifting back to... Video vaulting. Yeah, to the true meaning of the video which is us, Eddie and I, talking about our crazy love of movies. And, uh, today, uh... Eddie, uh, you picked this one. I did. You did, because uh, that's what we do. We kind of alternate <clears throat> back and forth. Yeah. Um, so tell us, Eddie, what did you pick? All right, so I picked the Shawshank Redemption. Um, I wanted, I was particularly excited to work on Shawshank. Uh, <laughs> playing the music in the background. Today. Yeah, the main theme, Thomas um, Newman. Because, you know, Stephen King has found his way back into the, uh, you know, uh, common conscious. With, like, you know, it just came out, and so did the, you know, Dark Tower, uh, terrible movie that came out. So I just figured. I didn't even bother. Well, I don't want to talk about it. Um, mm. So I just figured, yeah, it'd be nice to bring back probably his, uh, the greatest piece uh, of cinema in, no, oh, okay, the greatest piece of cinema involved with Stephen King, Definitely uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, and I can explain why I only think it, I don't know, it's. I mean, he didn't. He didn't even like The Shining, so yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about Stephen King for a bit because we all know Stephen. Now, by the way, folks, we gave you a spoiler warning when we did uh, Field of Dreams. Shawshank Redemption has been on both TBS and TNT, any fucking movie channel under the sun, so many times that most of you listening have probably seen all of it in its entirety without even realizing it. So yeah, we're going to talk about the entire thing from beginning to beginning to freaking end. We'll hear talk about the ending. I don't feel that. Anyway, Stephen King. Yeah, what do you want? I feel that... <laughs> what do I want? I want to talk about this, that Stephen King. I, mean, I, I, I thought you were... I think that the story of Shawshank Redemption, based off his novella, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, it's a, it's a testament to the man's versatility. Because we know Stephen King as, ooh, I'm the scary dude who lives up in Maine. Let's talk about The Shining, Pet Cemetery, Gerald's Game. Carrie. All these things that... What was it? Carrie. Carrie, yeah. All these, all these stories that are going to make you fear the things that go bump in the night. So, and here all of a sudden we have this very sad, stoic, and somewhat optimistic prison tale. Yeah. Where there's nothing supernatural going on. No. So, I mean, did you notice that as well when watching the movie? Or, Stephen King's a hell of a good writer? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, because I just always have known that Stephen King is the best, and I love him very dearly, and I <laughs> would love to name my first child Stephen or King. <laughs> He's really good. I mean, on writing is a great piece of work. Also, I just want to point out, I saw Shawshank before I knew who Stephen was. Stephen King, yeah, my boy Stephen. Uh, before I knew who Stephen King was. Um, so it was one of those things that like I never really... I, I, I thought of him when I was a kid as... Shawshank, I mean, uh, Shawshank Redemption, then I found out he did that, and I was like, cool. And then I was like, oh, he mostly just does horror film, uh, horror books. Oh, that's so weird. But I never, does that make sense? Like, I didn't, I didn't start yeah. with him being, like, the horror no novelist. Fair enough, yeah, because he, because Shawshank came out when I was still in the single digits. Oh, me too. I'm just saying, yeah, like, yeah, Yeah, but, I, yeah. but I'm saying, even at, even at that age, based on how much my mom complained, she says, I can't read Stephen King at bedtime. He's too scary. Oh, really? I, yeah. uh, I never had that conversation with my mom, so that's probably why my mom, I think I started... I think I started realizing he was a horror novelist at around 12. But yeah. I knew he was a writer at 8. 
Right. So I yeah, was like, well, are... oh, he did Shawshank. That's so cool. I don't get anything. I'm yeah. just a dumb kid. How about we move into the movie itself right now? The yeah. o- the opening scene where Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, Great he's pr- about to catch his wife in the act with another man. Yeah. And he's on the bridge. Now, did you notice the music that was playing in the background? Mm. No. If I didn't care. Uh, the Ink Spot song? Mm, no. I wasn't really focus on it. But that's the thing. I, it's one of those things, like, I miss details even when I've seen it a million times. Because, um, like, because, did you see Revolutionary Road with uh, Leo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet? No. Because, see, the Ink Spots ha- had this song called The Gypsy, which sounds very similar to uh, If I Didn't Care. Yeah. Which we could pull up later. We'll decide in a second. Because, um, you know, you know what? I'm going to turn it on right now. Because here's the song, folks. I clicked the wrong button. This is why we need a producer. So here you have this very sweet, late 40s, almost jazzy, uh, sad love song. Yes. And I just found it ironic how this song, plus one that their other song, Gypsy and Revolutionary Road, it's kind of a precursor to what's ultimately a very sad story with some silver linings. Kind mm-hmm. of like, It's kind of like the reverse. And let's and going to Tim Robbins... Have, is it just me or does the man only have one face? Yeah, he does. Yeah. He kind of does, actually. Um, yeah, even his happy face is his I feel uh, like face. He, he's, he's great at looking bewildered. Yeah. He, he's great at doing the, the what the fuck face. He does always kind of like, he, always does always, he does always make like a hard right with his head and then look up and it's like... What are you looking at, man? <laughs> like, what are you doing? But he always does look like he saw something out in the distance, and that's just his acting style. His acting style is, I saw something in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> saw something like, in the distance that I probably shouldn't have. Yeah, it's like, whoa, God. <laughs> the parents are having sex. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> oh, also, Tom oh. Cruise, what are you doing in my apartment? Story <laughs> of the world. Oh, oh, God. Whoa. Grandma shit her pants. Yeah. I shouldn't have seen I didn't want to see that. Uh, also, Morgan Freeman, what are you doing here? Uh, <laughs> and... And that's another great thing. Morgan Freeman playing Ellis Red, uh, Ellis Boyd Redding, known as Red. Yeah. Um, he's telling this prison story, and here's also something about the beauty of Shawshank, because the story itself is very cliche as a concept. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's like, guy goes to prison for something he didn't do, he keeps saying so, trying to get out. But the payoff is one of the best stories you will ever hear. I mean, the movie itself is maybe... 15 minutes too long if that if that but yeah I don't know but like I've seen this movie several times and I noticed something about about the story that's different each and every time yeah yeah I mean would you agree that it's a very very um cliche a cliche premise and that it's in that it's just a typical prison story it's weird because I uh I also it didn't have a cliche of what those movies might be before I saw Shawshank. Does it make sense? Like, yeah, it's a yeah. cliche concept, but in my head, I'm like, Shawshank came up with that. But Shawshank did it, did it. No, Shawshank, uh, it was, it, it was like, it was like the Escape from Alcatraz kind of is well, also... Well, there, there's a few of them. There's Escape from Alcatraz, yeah. there's White Heat, there's... Um, Oh, brother, where art thou? I guess kind of that counts, actually. Yeah. But yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not wrong. It's, it's, what's weird about it is the part where the escape happens is only the last, like, 
30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. But that is what that movie's about, isn't it? It's about escaping from prison. It is, it's, a, it's an escape film. Yeah, and, but and, the, and the crazy part is that you don't even see the escape coming until it actually happens, because Shawshank Penitentiary in the middle of nowhere, Maine, it's a maximum security uh, facility. Shawshank is bad news. It shows up yeah. in It. It shows up in the book It. Oh, well, I'm reading the book It, so I'll look forward to that. Yeah, there's a, it, for a second, there's just like a scene where like a guy is sent to Shawshank. And it's another Stephen King uh, now, book. Now, speaking of Maine and Shawshank, now, have you been to Maine? <laughs> uh, I think we talked about this. Oh, yeah, why, why would you ever go to New England? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No, it was Rhode Island we talked about before. You were like, have you yeah. been to Providence, Rhode Island? I was like, no. It was Newport, but... <laughs> no, again, I don't care. I don't, I don't care, New England fans. I don't care, because I don't care. McFly... <laughs> Okay, if you guys heard me, you thought that would be hilarious. If you guys are here, you'd think that would be really funny. It is really funny. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, is it just me, or does everyone, like, old school, like, old money New England look pissed off? Yeah, I guess it has something to do with the fact that they just stick up their ass the entire time. Yeah. Can you imagine having so much money that your job is just to make sure you keep making the money? Like, if I had a million dollars, I'd be like, I'm done with this. But, like, if you're rich and you're born with a million dollars, your whole job is, I have to keep this money. I'd be so angry all the time. Because, like, if I had a million dollars, you can guarantee my first obligation is not going to be, I need to make more of this. It's going to be, I should stop for a little bit and enjoy my money. These cats are making, they have millions of dollars, and they look so angry. (laughs) Because it's not enough. They need more of it. I'm not trying to get political. I mean, literally, could you imagine if your job, which I have a job, to make money and then have money and then be cool with money and spend $100 a day or something like that. Like, I want to get yeah. to that point. These guys' jobs are to have a million dollars and make sure they always have a million dollars. Like, that blows my mind. I'm sorry. That, I just I'm, I just had that thought. Right. So let, let's get into, like, the media. You're right. They are angry all the time. That's so funny. I never <laughs> thought about that. Yeah. I'll, every, sorry, New England, but lighten the hell up. All right. <laughs> so killed a bunch of witches. What do you have to brag about? <laughs> Yeah, so then we go inside Shawshank, and he's getting dropped off on the prison bus. He's going from the land of working in a bank and wearing suits to the land of ashy shirts and jean jackets. Yeah. So Great fashion, by the way. Hey, can we talk about the fact that they all got jean jackets? Yeah, by, really? by the way, folks, like Eddie, you got to give Eddie all the props now because he's just winging it because I took four and a half pages of notes. I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have a, I have had a toothache for the past three days. I'm in a world of pain. You guys... Should appreciate me. Yeah, that, yeah, that crinkling sound you hear in the background, folks. That he actually has a bag of ice over my I, face. I asked, and you know what? You got to give him all the props because I, I said to him, "Hey, are you sure you want to record this? Why don't we just marathon some stuff for Halloween month? That's what we're doing in October." Surprise! Uh, but he insisted. Let's let's record it because it's Shawshank. It's Shawshank. You don't understand me when I tell you this. It is a deep movie. It is a deep movie, and it's it's good. And I uh, I don't know what do you want to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, so we're in this land of ashy shirts, prisoners, and jean jackets. Jean jackets, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I want a jean jacket so bad. <laughs> I know this is like a weird statement, but they're, they did, the fashion back then was awesome. <laughs> but they got jean jackets, they got like jeans. And then the denim-clad Morgan Freeman, as Red, goes to his, his first parole hearing that we see in the movie. Uh-huh. And they say, Have you, do you feel yourself rehabilitated? He goes... Oh yeah! Oh yes! Like I'm feel I feel I have been. Like I'm I'm a new person. Blah blah blah. Parole's denied. And like, what are you supposed to say at a parole hearing? Um, because like he's saying, yeah, like I feel I'm great. What's he gonna say? No, keep me in here. 
I've been in here for 25 years. I want to I, I want to stay in here. That's a fair point. So, so fuck all that. of you. I'm out. I never thought about that. Um, that's really, but yeah, what do you say to Pearl Herring? I mean, O.J. Simpson was just like, I'm O.J. Simpson. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? I see you out. And he did. He got out. Um, I think, you know, in my personal... It, it's weird. It's weird. Because at the end of the movie, he does get out. So it's like, what? Uh, what? Like, why... What was wrong in the first 10 years? Like, because that movie, the movie takes place over 20 years. He was in jail for 40 years, I yeah. guess, right? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. <laughs> Morgan Freeman, not aging. Because uh, he's been 65 for the last uh, 30 years. <laughs> um, yeah, so he would have been like, he would have been 45 when the movie starts, and he's 65 by the end of the movie. So sure, yeah. He looks, he's so good at acting, apparently, that he looks 20 years older and also 20 years younger than Yeah, and you and I made the, we're talking about this earlier, because uh, we just came from the Yankee game. Yankees won, won 6 to 1, holla. Look up what date that is now. That's your, <laughs> that's your. That's yeah, um, but you and I were talking how in the movie it's as if nobody ever ages. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with that. So. I think, in my personal opinion, Andy Dufresne goes from 25 to 45, so you can say Tim Robbins might be able to... I guess, you know, really the thing is, is that they all over overage the cast. Does that make sense? Like, I guess I guess they did, like but... Like, they made a 65-year-old look 45, they made a 45-year-old look 20, and then, at the end of the movie, they're like... Yeah, this is their ages now. And it's like, oh, that's the age that they started the movie at. But you're right, they don't age. Even still, though, like, you gotta figure, you're in a maximum security prison, you're doing hard time, you've been raped by a bunch of dudes, you've spent multiple days in the hole. Yeah, that, that's gonna age a man. And <laughs> and here's Tim Robbins looking like he just walked out of the dad store. <laughs> the dad store. <laughs> yeah. Now, now uh, Shawshank Prison, I don't know about you, I think it looks like Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, um, uh, like, it's, it's in a pretty nice prison, to be honest. Like, I mean, the library, they have, the library is great. It's like a shame, because, like, the whole purpose is like, I can't read, I can't read either, Mr. Dufresne. And it's like, man, you got such a nice library. Fuck. Yeah. And just the rest of the cast in this movie, too. I mean, we could talk about how ri- how ridiculous the prison guards look holding Tommy guns, of all things. Like, the guns of, like, the Prohibition gangsters. But instead, let's just go to all these various character actors you had in the movie. First off, Clancy Brown as the main guard. Yep. Who, uh, nerds would know him as the, as the, the Kurgan from Highlander. Yeah. But are what you... Is, what, is, what else did the, the, the Kurgan just do? I feel like he's in something now. Oh, Clancy Brown? Yeah. He's Mr. Krabs on Spongebob. Yeah, and he was also in Rick and Morty. Yep. Got it. Yeah, he was in Rick and Morty. Yeah, and uh, (laughs) he's also been... He's been in countless other things. I'm sure he's done Law and Order. But he's got this booming voice, and yet here he is making millions of dollars a year doing Mr. Krabs on Spongebob. You know, honestly, that's fine. Not my life choice. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and he also did... uh, Oh, he's the, the animated voice of Lex Luthor. Oh yeah, he does have that voice. Yeah, he's got that voice, man. That's a good. That's a good ass voice. That's right. Uh, it's, he, just, it's just like this the entire time. Oh, he was he was he was hocking in gargoyles. Oh, he totally has that voice. Sergeant Zim in Starship Troopers. Didn't see it. I know. Oh, wait, let me phrase it. Uh, it's not a movie I've watched multiple times. Uh, my old roommate. Uh, that's his favorite movie. Um, shout out to Ian for that. Fact about your life. 
Sorry. Anyway, um, oh, but all, but also there's uh, William Sadler, who he's the Southern Sounding prisoner. Uh, oh. I forget. I'm blanking on his name, but he's also uh, the Grim Reaper in um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, he was um, the father of the murdered twin girls in Green Mile. Uh, another another Stephen King book. Another Stephen King book directed by Frank Darabont, who did right. this. Right. Oh, you know that's the other thing. I saw Green Mile before I saw Shawshank. That's why I didn't think about that. I can't remember which one I saw first. I know I saw the Green Mile first because the Green Mile came out and then I remember being like, my mom being like, I need to watch more things. My mom does this thing. Uh Uh-huh. I'm not sure if anybody else's mom does this. It's probably a common thing, but if it's not, let me know at Eddie underscore Doug on Twitter. Follow me. Like my stuff. It's great. One day it'll be cool. For, for now, just for this piece of... Haywood is his name in the movie. Haywood, Rita Haywood. Okay. Um, my mom does this thing where if she likes one thing by one person, she will binge that person for like a month and a half, maybe two. Hardcore. Um, and I know some people do that, like certain authors... Oh, yeah, I'm really reading like Grimoire Khan right now. Like, I don't know. I didn't mean to make it sound obnoxious. But with like movies, my mom did it. Like, she saw The Mexican <laughs> with Brad Pitt and... And Julia Roberts. Thank you. And then from there, it was every Brad Pitt movie for the rest of her life. That's one that she'll still go to. Wow. Um, Johnny Depp, she saw Pirates of the Caribbean 14 straight times, and then watched everything. At, or was it she watched Blow, then Pirates of Punch? I don't know, but like, does that much. Stephen King, she saw The Green Mile, and then was like, I need to read and watch all of his movies. So she Because watched- I remember I read Green Mile before I saw Green Mile. I never read the Green Mile. Um, it's all the way through. I remember starting it. Yeah, it's 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 not so different from the movie. There aren't many changes. I mean, like they change the ages the ages of two characters, but it doesn't really matter. And also, right, the mouse isn't like a big deal in the book or something. No, the mouse the mouse is the is a big deal in the book too. It's just there. It's what it's one of those movies that rather rather than an adaptation like Shawshank is. Of its source material, it's like they they shot, did it. shot the whole thing. Not entirely, but pretty damn close. That's cool. I don't see enough. I don't see enough. I'm gonna get some water. Uh, yeah, I he's getting some water. Yeah, uh, you want anything? Uh, no, I'm good. All right, go. Hey, I don't see actually. Keep it, keep it. Yeah, yeah, because the thing about Green Mile, folks, we'll touch on that because it's so rare that you see a movie where you could say, "Oh my God, it's just like the book." And this is the case, because I can't think of... I remember reading The Green Mile, I think I was 13 or 14, watched the movie a few months later, and I seriously do not remember being, you know, Miss Douchey McNitpick over, oh, there's my ice machine. Oh, like, this this wasn't in the movie, this part of the book was better, that part of the book was better, they changed this around, they changed that around... The one thing they changed was so unbelievably minor that anyone who's going to bug out about that, I'm just going to say this, folks. Get a life. It's a movie. You enjoy the book, enjoy the movie, unless it's absolutely awful. Sorry, I was in the other room uh, listening, and did you say Douchey Mc... Douchey McNitpick. Okay, that's all. That's uh, from Doug Walker, the nostalgia critic, so Doug, we love you. Not trying to steal that. Um... But just other character actors in this. You had Bob Gunton playing the warden. 
Yeah, great. Oh, God, he's on Daredevil. He's on... Oh, just an overall bad person. Yeah, but just... A, what a great actor, though. Oh, just an overall most hated... And the crazy part is, even though, even though he's playing this crazy Jesus freak warden, about ten years after this movie came out, Bob Gunton was uh, on a show on Fox, one of Fox's many short-lived shows called Greg the Bunny. <laughs> where, I forgot about Greg the Bunny. Yeah, where he played like the main guy on, on the TV show that they produced, kind of show within the show, where he's like the happy engineer on a kid's show, and here he is offset drinking whiskey, smoking cigarettes, talking about Vietnam. He's absolutely hilarious in it. Um, that show, it also has Seth Green, Eugene Levy, Sarah Silverman was on that show. So definitely give it a watch if you haven't, because Bob Gunton, I swear, between Shawshank and Greg the Bunny, night and day, you will not regret it. Um, and Mark Ralston is Boggs, too. He's one of those guys who's also been in everything. Because he was also in The Departed. Oh. As a Delahunt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the guy who got shot. Yep. And on top of that... I'm here. There was, um... He was in something else. He, oh, yeah, he's in this documentary called That Guy Who Was In That Thing, where they interview several different character actors. Oh, that's funny. I'm yeah. I, I feel like I saw that. It's on Netflix. Definitely check it out. It's, it's, Mar- it's Mark Ralston, Xander Berkeley, um, Bob Joy is in it. It's it's really eye opening, and and the fact this is a guy who he's devoted to his craft, but he also is I think is one of the few actors out there who realizes the bills got to get paid too, and he talks about how he worked as a wine salesman, a cab driver, um, a delivery guy, everything under the sun, just so he could pay the bills. Yes, I agree. That's pretty cool. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I think Samuel Jackson started doing that a little bit uh, like recently. Um, oh no, my mom used to say about Denzel Washington. My De- Denzel was doing like did this stream of like. First of all, I just want to say Denzel Washington is by far one of the best actors of our generation. That's right. Um, blessed be he who is the Denzel. But also, um, he will do that same thing too. Remember <laughs> Book of Eli? Well, I don't like Book of Eli. I know. Remember it was a total cash grab. They were like Denzel Washington action movie. Screw it, let's do this. Yeah, but it, yeah, but it was also a good fucking movie. Yeah, okay, it can be a good movie or not, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, it's definitely a movie that you probably did for the money. Just so happens it was a good movie. Do you think Denzel really wanted to do that movie? Look me in the eyes and say. He, he wanted to do it more than Out of Time. Okay, Out of Time's another one I'm going to talk Virtuosity? About. Oh, Deja Vu. <laughs> I like Deja Vu. Okay, I'm not saying they're bad movies. I'm saying they're obvious cash grabs, because he did four of the same movies. Man movie on Fire movie. was a cash grab. Okay, they're all the same movie, Josh. Exactly. They're all the same Denzel Washington for like a, uh, like a good five years did the same movie, and it's just Denzel's great. I mean, Denzel, Denzel's enough. But uh, so that he's doing that those type of films with the money. But then he'll come out and do just something so phenomenal, <laughs> like Flight. I uh, I was gonna say more. I didn't see Flight. I was gonna say more like Fences. Um, that movie is. Oh, I still haven't seen Fences. Oh, it's so good. I mean, Viola Davis though. I mean, my God. And my point is, yes. There are actors who are smart enough to realize that you gotta do what you gotta do for the money. Sometimes you can, but I mean, there. But then there are some actors who do it and then can go back to doing like the artistic stuff. So I always think that's like really interesting. Yeah. So uh, Matthew uh, McConaughey did that. Exactly. Let's go. Let's go back to the story. So we see people showing up to prison now. That's the orange jumpsuit. These guys show up in suits and ties. So showing up in like, just imagine life sentence. Hey, show up in clothes that you're never gonna see again. 
Oh boy, yeah. I always thought of that. I also thought about always thought about how just like terrible smelling your clothes must be when you get those things back. Oh yeah, I mean unless they've been storing them with mothballs. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I I don't think they were thinking of mothballs back in the day. Yeah, and they're saying um, Red describes the sting of that delousing powder. Yeah, yeah it they, burns. Yeah, but they throw it on in the movie. They don't say shit. It's like, okay, just gonna go over here. Oh my god, my skin feels like it's <laughs> melting off of me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, and. And on top of that, we're gonna go to the next page of notes. Just you know, like the the fresh fish scene where they're trying to get the fat guy to cry. Yeah, cry, little piggy. Come on, cry. Come on. If you don't cry, I'm gonna lose money. Fresh fish, fresh yeah. fish. And then uh, a little after that, we get to the scene where Andy asks, asks Morgan Freeman or Red for the um for the rock hammer. Yes. Why do you need this? Uh, I like. I like doing, uh, what's his word? What is the phrase that he uses? Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rock hound. I'm a rock hound, yeah. I mean, what? I mean, you gotta figure back in that time when kids were growing up without TV or, or Xbox or Netflix or, like, iPads that playing with rocks was a legit activity or a hobby. Can we talk about the fact that that scene happens about 20 minutes in and is the basis for Red and, uh, it's, Andy's it, relationship? And yeah. And you don't even think about it for another hour and 55 minutes. And then you're just like, oh, shit. They're fr- oh, my God. Their friendship was the hole that broke through Shawshank both physically and spiritually. Now, now let's talk about the base of their relationship because... It's a rock hammer. Yeah, Red's saying I can get your rock hammer. It'll, it'll have to wait this time. It'll cost you this much. But then... I love Morgan Freeman. He's a bit too passive in the scene where he pretty much says, hey, if you get busted, you better not mention my name or we're never going to do business again. I'm sorry, dude. This is prison. Hey, mention my name if something goes south. We're going to have a big problem, dude. Like, someone's going to get their butt kicked. I mean, I think um, I think that's what he was saying, Josh. But also, he wasn't... I guess he just figured, like... Um, I don't know. I, I also let's be real. Like I feel like back in those days, prisons probably. He was okay. Let me rephrase that. If somebody like Andy Dufresne versus someone like Red got busted with something like that, like Andy would have probably gotten off a little easier than I think Red. So I think Red would just be like, "Don't mention my name because like I'm not gonna do business with you anymore." Like I don't think he expected Andy to like really get in much trouble. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I think he just figured like white boy gets in trouble, white boy gets off. Like it's cool. But I'm, I'm, I'm black, and, like, it's, you know, it's the 1930s. Yeah. So for him, it's like, oh, you're the least of what happens. They mention my name, they'll be like, well, you suck. You know, Andy Dufresne, you suck. Like, you know. You probably yeah. didn't expect Andy to go through all the stuff that he was currently going through. Yeah, and then, and then, even this early on in the movie, you can see the influence that it had on, on future media. Right. Like, just in terms of the lighting of the, of the prison in general, I'm talking the laundry room, the cafeteria, um... The one example that came to mind was the video game Mafia 2. I mean, I don't know if you ever played that, but but the there's a portion of the game that takes place in prison, and the lighting is eerily similar. It also uses a lot of that um, swinging lamp. Yeah, just because just because like the lighter the lighter sides of prison are few and far between. And yeah, then got, and then you got that image of the lamp kind of like, oh, we're gonna go over here. And oh, we're going to go over, over here, here now. And yeah, over here now. Like, yeah. that's used in, like, so many different pieces of media. To the point... Yeah, you're right. Like, to the point where, like, they don't even have those lamps anymore, man. Like, I'm pretty... If you're... I've, I've been... I've 
stay the night in the cell. Let me tell you something. They have fluorescent lights. It's kind of normal. <laughs> it's like an office. Yeah. Um, I've also spent a night in the drunk tank. Yeah. So. They don't have swimming lights. Yeah. Um, and then um, we get to the introduction of Boggs, who kind of creeps on Andy. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, great word for it, Josh. How about you use the actual word? Okay, yeah, Boggs is a full-on prison rapist <laughs> who is actually a very uncomfortable character. Yeah, he looks uncomfortable. He looks like he's uncomfortable doing that role, which makes it even better. Yeah, and... rapes people. Yeah, but then... But then um, Red warns Andy about the sisters, as they're called. Mm-hmm. Oh, what if I tell them I'm not, I'm not homosexual? Oh, don't worry, neither are they. Yep. And yet, no. men who say they're straight... They're going, they're raping other men in prison. I mean, is it just, it's got to be more than just, oh, a guy has needs. Uh, I think it's just a matter of, like, establishing your, your masculinity. Being you know the big I mean? dog in the yard, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's like needs, but, like, it's also, like, it's like, you know, I'm not gay, but I gotta get off. You know, like, that's establishing masculinity more than anything else, you know, it's like. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's gotta be studies on this done. You could just, you could just jerk off for, like, an hour. And it'd be, it'd be fine. It's and, like the same thing. And even though we're at the point now where the where the movie is, Andy's not in the best place. He's clearly depressed about being in prison. Thomas Newman's score it's it's oddly optimistic sounding. Yeah. So sorry, folks. There's cats meowing at each other. That's the sound you hear. Yeah. Full disclosure: we record this in my house. We'll have a studio someday. What does it mean by cats? It's that time of year. I didn't know that. Yeah, I meant to say time of night. Oh. Miss, I misspoke. Like, I was like, <laughs> Yeah. And, but would you agree that, that the score of the film is oddly optimistic in its nature? Oh, yeah. It's like a build-up to, like, an... It's, I mean, what's great about it is, like, it, it feels like uh, optimist... You're gonna... Opti- uh, it's like the escape. It's like an epic... Word. It's like it builds up to an epic score that is eventually going to underlie the escape from a prison. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it feels like it feels like they took like a score that should have been only like ten minutes long and just made it like a two-hour long score. Yeah, because not for nothing, when you think of most prison films, and just to name a few, we got Cool Hand Luke, yeah. Escape from Alcatraz, Birdman of Alcatraz. You figure that you got that that southern sounding like on the harmonica just to set everything up where it's not a good place to be. And then here you got the string orchestra, and it just sounds so beautiful, like, hey, you know what, things are bad, but it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. There's my ice machine again. Sorry. No, no apologies. This happens. And and then we're going to... Fa- and we're just going to fast forward, because I, I, I don't know if Tom Suman got nominated for this. I don't think he did. Because this this one the, this was a movie that came out the same year as you know Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction. Well, yeah, but Sean, but Shawshank was also nominated for all the same things. That's why. I yeah, but it had, it like had to compete with up. all that. Uh, but then we're gonna go to the scene where they're tarring the roof. Mm-hmm. And Clancy Brown, the the captain, he's talking about how his brother left him some money, and he says, "Oh, oh, we're sorry for your loss." Nah, he was an asshole. He ran off to Texas. You had that. That sort of old school New England mentality where leaving home makes you a bad person. Yeah. Like going out to seek other opportunities makes you the devil. Yes. Like it's kind of like that that complex where, oh, so you think you're better than me now, Mr. City Boy? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, that's what it is, man. Um, like, the thing about Shawshank is, the irony of Shawshank is that there is that mentality of people who think that they're better than other people versus, like, it's like the, it's like the, the extreme hatred for LeBron, um, elitism, right? Like, yeah. the idea of, like, what, you think you're better than me because you're leaving the small town? You think you're better than me because, like, you know, I'm a prison guard and you're, like, you're nothing, you're a prisoner. And then Andy Dufresne comes in and is like, I'm an accountant. So he's, like, in this weird place where he's not better than the pe- anybody, but he's also better than everybody. And this forges the relationship between Andy and the prison staff. Yeah. Because you, know, you hear the you hear the guard saying, oh, uh, I'm going to have to take this, like, 30-something thousand dollars, give it to the give it to the government, then I'm going to have to have enough to, what, buy a new car, then I got to take care of that, blah, 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 just sort of like that, almost, not quite mean, but certainly New Hampshire anti-government libertarian feeling where, you know, on, on the New Hampshire license plate, it says live free or die. Right. And then on top of that... Which is interesting, right? Because where is Andy located? He is inside a prison. Yeah, which means he's not doing what? He's not living free. Exactly. And get, so get busy living, get busy dying. Yep. Um, see why they put it in. Now, now sticking with the scene, the the most iconic image is when is when the captain is is holding Andy over the roof. He's like, "Hey, someone's having an accident." And then you look at the shot. There's no fence there. There, it's not green screen. The amount of trust that had to exist between Tim Robbins and Clancy Brown while shooting that scene, because somebody trips or somebody takes a bad step, someone's going off the roof. Yep. So. So. I mean, but at the same time, it's like back in those days. Back when I was an old person. Oh, wow, the <laughs> social network? Wow. Trent. <laughs> oh, he's just got an alert on his phone. What's going on? Trent Reznor has an Academy Award for best score. Oh, yeah, for Social Network. Trent Reznor. That's a great score, man. I know, but, but I've never thought about the fact that Trent Reznor would have an Academy Award. Yeah, just every once in a while, you just find something funny in your life. From Nine Inch Nails <laughs> to Hollywood. Hey, you know what, man? Three Six Mafia has an Academy Award. That's true. Yes. Eminem, too. Uh, Eminem, well, Eminem was... Uh, we all... Come yeah. on. Come on. That song is... Lose Yourself is one of the... Is, I did not pick it to win that year. Uh, I, I, don't, I actually personally did because that was the only song I knew. <laughs> um, best, okay, sorry. Uh, wow. Fudge. Uh. What? No, I'm trying to find. Wow. Forrest Gump did not, oh. Wow, none of those won. Sorry, best score. I'm still looking at best score, guys. I'm so sorry. Uh, the, Lions King, the Lion King won that year. That, oh, that's right. Shawshank was, but Thomas Newman was nominated. Well, when you got to compete with Sir Elton John, right? <laughs> that wasn't Sir, Sir Elton John to the song. That was Hans Zimmer. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Elton John just did one song. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so sorry. then... Sorry, guys. As a result of this relationship Eddie Noe has with the guards and helping them with their taxes, makes him untouchable to Boggs and the sisters. Yeah. Where Boggs is just in his, is in his cell one day after laying a beating on Andy. Mm-hmm. And... And putting him within an inch of his life, as Red says. So then the guards go to Boggs' cell, just beat the living crap out of him. Yeah. And then that's what you see for Boggs for what he really is. He's a bully. He's scared. He's like, he's, and then there's a scene where he's crawling out of the cell only to get yanked back in there. Sort of 
your own medicine tastes quite bitter when you have to take it. Uh, Stephen King was, I just want to point out, Stephen King was a very bullied kid, uh, is what I assume, because that theme pops up a bunch in, like, all of his work of just... Stand of, by me. Stand yeah. by me, it, um, Carrie, yeah. um, of course, Shawshank, but of course, the Green Mile is also in there as well. Um, yeah. Name another one, I'm pretty sure, like, retribution against the bullies in your mm-hmm. life, you know? Like... Even in the in the novel in the um, in the new it movie, I'm not gonna spoil anything. But there's a scene where the kid's dad says to the kid, "Nothing like a pa- nothing like a little fear to make a paper man crumble," and the idea that like these bullies are just scared cowards just as much as are just as scared as the people that they bully. The only difference is that they're scared of another force that like. We can't really comprehend it because Andy didn't really comprehend how bad those guards were yet. He really didn't. No. He finds it out. That's like that's that's really the difference. That's really the part of the movie, right? Like one half is him being afraid of the guards, is being afraid of the prisoners, and the other second half is him when he's afraid of the guards. The first half is the prison itself, and the second half is he finds out the evil of the of the prison. So then the guards start turning on him. So like he. Is able to smartly make his way into he manipulate the guards into doing his dirty work for the bullies, but then now suddenly taking out the bullies. But once you take out the bullies, guess who's about guess where you're standing now? You're standing right below the guards too. So like, yeah. that's kind of like Stephen King's thing is that like who's the, really the bullies, but also like what ha- like retribution and just the bullies. risk of Andy getting involved with like the warden with the guards being so close to that to that to that top of the food chain. You gotta figure, how does he have so many friends in prison? He's, like, so universally liked, even though he could be viewed as a threat by some. Yeah, I mean, but you know... I mean, snitches get stitches, so... Yeah, but I guess the thing about Andy, for me, is that, um... Uh... It's like when you take down the mob boss, right? Like, it's like as if Andy was able to... Pick pa- get power from being cool with the guards, right? Mm-hmm. To the point where everyone is going to flock toward the power. So he's not going to use the power because the guy who would be crazy enough to kill anybody in the prison just got his ass kicked because of Andy Dufresne, right? So yeah. now no one fears the crazy person anymore because the person got his ass kicked because Andy could get the guards on you, right? Which means Andy has all the power. So the Prisoners are gonna start flocking to Andy. Why? Because maybe we can get a little bit of that guard power. That's a good side, yeah, right? That's that's and a very good point. Andy's a particularly nice guy. Yeah. So he's not raping. He's not murdering anybody. And then he, uh, somehow, and here's the other thing about Andy. Andy made the prison a little fun because even though he's getting his ass kicked, everybody's getting their ass kicked by the guards. He's still able to like go to the library and like put a little bit of opera on and just sit there. He's like a little bit of a prankster, and he's getting away with it too. So Andy kind of like is the cool kid in high school that would like. Get detention, but after like flipping off everybody, you know, I'd be like, "You're in detention." He'd be like, "I don't care." And then he'd, like, that's how he kind of becomes like the smart, the smart, cool person. Everybody wants. Yeah, to do in that, the in know? this New England prison, that oddly enough, like like in most like in most prison movies, regardless of where, regardless of where they take place, they have something of a southern flair. You know, like it is weird. Yeah, yeah. It's just like the 19, the nineteen thirties kind of just has it. Yeah, it's like it's, it takes place in Maine or yeah. or wherever. Part of New no, no, that's me. I don't it's care. Me, yeah. I don't care, New England. I don't care. You want to build a little blob and just you're on, on the penis of the United States. Hey, 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 hey. New England has some nice parts, okay? Okay. I'm sure that all two of them are good. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. 
Um, so then you, we'll touch on on um, Warden Morton just for a hot minute because he's a very conservative Christian. His name is Warden Morton. <laughs> Warden Morton, I believe. <laughs> no, that's really funny. Yeah. Okay. So that so you have him and he's this very conservative Christian saying, "Oh, uh, we're gonna get you're gonna get two things in here: discipline in the Bible." And it's very reminiscent today. Conservative Christians trying to be very my way or the highway, even though a lot of people are like, "No." Yeah. I and mean, what do you? I mean, what do you expect? That's 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 just. I mean, I'm not gonna try to get over it. I'll I'll yell the hell out of uh, out of people in New England. But I mean, it just it's just so like. Ugh, it's just so practice what you preach, kind of like what what else can be said about that attitude that I haven't already said on every form of social media. There's nothing I can say. Like you know, it's just like we get it. We know who he is. In fact, there really wasn't any way to make that warden even worse. I'm sorry. There's no way you couldn't have been. Like, he could have been. Warden like, Norton, not Morton. Norton, yeah. He could have been like you're gonna in this prison. You're gonna get one thing beaten up, and I'd have been like he's bad, but a discipline, and I'd be like oh he's a jerk. But then it's like discipline and the Bible. Then I was like oh I hate this guy. Like, I was like, oh, I actively don't, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just so, like, I can't explain it. I'm sorry. There's just so many words. I'm going <laughs> to let you have this one. Yeah, so then we're going to get to one of my favorite parts of the movie was when is when Andy starts working at the library with Brooks Hatlin, who's played by the incredible James Whitmore. So you see Brooks going around with the card saying, hey, who wants a book? Who wants a book? Who wants a book? Everyone's saying no. And I don't know whether it's a it's a thing about illiteracy or just general laziness, but if I'm in, if I was in prison trying to pass the time, especially back then, I'd be sure I'll read something. I got to keep myself occupied. Yeah, because um, the way I see it is you're very isolated, and isol and being that isolated from the rest of the world means you have to keep busy to not go crazy, and it also keeps helps you keep your own humanity. Um. So yeah. I, I mean, also, like, um, I think it really is more of the illiteracy, though. Or, you know, it could be seen as um, emasculate. Emasculate, you know what I mean? Oh, he's reading. He's reading. Oh, look, 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 he's reading. Oh, he's reading? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's reading. The little fucking, the little fucking pansy. He's reading. You know, and then it becomes, like, a case of, like, oh, pansy. I don't know. Like, it just seems like such... It would be, like, something to, like, pick on you for, you know? Yeah, you're the only to a degree. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, what do you think? It's like, it kind of goes back to the whole, like, what do you think, you better than me kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, oh, you see him reading at the, at the, at the thing. What, you, you like reading, huh, boy? All right, cool. How about I, I rape you in the shower? I don't know. <laughs> by this, and by the same token, we talked about Andy working as an accountant for the guards. Um... It, Today, they're uh, in prison when they put uh, the prisoners to work. They're focusing on just various trades. Why not offer accounting? Um, I, I don't. I guess this is a thirties man. Like, Fair I, enough. I don't think that was really like a big maybe. Maybe maybe prisons do offer accounting. I uh, no. I think I think probably yeah. Maybe now they do. Um, I I just yeah. Back in the thirties, uh, I just don't see that as like a big because. Or the 40s and 50s in this case. Yes. I think, um, 
I think the concept of like big old corporations and stuff like that were just starting to pop up. So like accounting just started becoming like it was like a thing that like you really had to be like really really good at. Yeah. Nowadays you could just be an accountant. It's not that hard. Right. And so I mean, like, it is hard. And so hard. between the accounting and the library, uh, some Andy's doing he's doing a lot better in prison now because of course Boggs is out of the picture. And then all of a sudden, Brooks is paroled, and he goes nuts. He's, he wants to stay in because he's been in prison for almost 60 years. Yeah. And so, or I'm sorry, 50 years at this point. And then it gets to the, to the argument where, hey, sometimes maybe parole is a curse. Because you're inside for so long, it's really the only life you know. I mean, that's really, but I think that has more to say less about the parole and more about the prison complex that we have now. Well, in- well, yeah, because you get used to living a certain way. You, you pass the time. I sort of like, and this, is, this is a weird comparison, but I sort of likened it to being your own boss. Because when you and I met a couple of years ago, I was working for a startup company. Yeah. Well, working another side gig, but, the start, but working at the startup took up a lot of my time. I left that startup about a, a year after we met, and all of a sudden, I was committed to this other gig where I pretty much made my own hours. I had all the time in the world. Time slows down after moving too fast, and it can be maddening. Now, imagine, imagine that happening to someone who, I guess, is newly retired in their 60s or their 70s. Yep. So all of a sudden, you, you've spent all your life having this one routine, and all of a sudden, you have all this new freedom and, and time, and what if you can't handle it? Brooks, Brooks unfortunately, couldn't. Because the shot, he ultimately ends up killing himself in his hotel room, yeah, or his apartment, and I, and you'll notice right before he takes the jump, he's carving his name up. Brooks is here. Yeah, but his face is covered by the by um, like an overhang on the ceiling, and it looks like prison bars. So even though he's free, he's still he this he's in the ultimate prison. Yes. Very sad moment. Um. You mean like? Oh, yeah, no, sorry, I totally, I just, I wasn't, I was just trying to think of, like, a way to rebuttal that, but there's no way to really rebuttal, like, really sad moment. Yeah. Uh, no, it's totally sad. Um, I think, you know, it, it just, it just, it just makes me sad to think of the fact that, like, man, like, Brooks did whatever crime he did for, it took him 50 years to get out. That means that he, that means that he, like, he, when he last saw his clothes, he had, like, Close from the eighties. Oh, that's always weird. Uh, like he had, he had no, because he he says he got in, he got to Shawshank in 05. 1905. Yeah, but I mean, he probably had like those clothes for like longer than just yeah. like, a year. That, that's another thing. When you're when they parole someone who's been inside for a while, you got to figure their 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 size has changed at least a little bit. Oh, I guess you know when he probably got those clothes, like they probably just gave him those clothes because they were like he's. Gold. Oh, they're getting ready to parole him anyway, so they went out and got it for him in advance. That's nice of him. If yeah. That's the case. Anyway, yeah, it's really sad. Um, Brooks's character is very tragic because he is one of the smarter people. He's smart. He's like nice. He's polite. Yeah. Uh, he tries to make sure that people can read. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like he raises that bird, uh, Jake, the entire time. The crow, yeah. The crow, right? And then. And just when he has to release Jake into the wild, ugh. God. Oh, you know what's really interesting is originally um, in the books or like in the original cut, I looked this up a long time ago. Uh, Red was supposed to find uh, the bird's body too, because the bird couldn't survive outside of the cave. Oh either. no! Um, so like that was the original thing. That was gonna be in the original cut, but like you mentioned, the movie is a little bit fifteen minutes too long. But like that was gonna be a scene where they were gonna find out that Brooks had died, and then they were gonna uh, find out that Jake also couldn't make it out of the cave either. The yeah. Bird. Anywho, 
Um, so moving on, uh, at this point, Andy, he's completely redoing the library. And then he he gets this, he's done this whole writer, uh, letter writing campaign. State Senate finally says, hey, here's some, here's some donations and a couple hundred bucks. And then there's records in there. And then he locks the guard in the crapper while he's dropping a deuce and just starts playing opera for everybody. That's got to be, and then locks the key to the office as well. Or locks the door, rather. That's got to be the most passive-aggressive kind of insubordination that I've ever seen. And it's just so satisfying because he's sitting there. He's not hurting anybody. Like, no, like it's not causing a ruckus. And yet everyone's so offended that he's, how dare you play Italian opera? You yeah. will obey. Yeah, I don't know. I can, I don't really know what I could say about this scene. Um, I love it. It's great. There's nothing. This is the part. The thing about the movie is, once you get to the second half of the movie, there's kind of nothing wrong with it. Like the first half, you can poke a few holes in, but like once you get to the part where like Andy's starting to become like more involved with the, with, you know what I mean? Like oh, the the guard like he's able to do the opera. Why? Well, because he's in charge of the library. Why is he in charge of the library? Well, because he's doing accounting for people and one of the characters died. Well, why is he doing accounting? Like, suddenly all the threads just, like, the thread is just perfectly sound in all levels. To the point where, yeah, he can just get, he, why does he have opera records? Because he has a library, because of all the other stuff. And he can go into the ward's office because he is their accountant and they trust him. And then he, like, does his little fuck you to them. But he can get away with it because they need him. Like, it just, it's like, there's nothing, like, when I first saw that, I was like, that was a fun act of defiance. What's even better about it, though, is the fact that he, he does this, and then he still is able to get away with escaping. Because it's as if, like, by doing this little act, they would never escape, they, they would never suspect him of having, like, the greatest escape plan of all time, because he, like, is just, like, why would someone be so stupid to get themselves in trouble before, you know what I mean? It was like... It was like, well, Andrew Dufresne may do something dumb like this, but he's never smart enough to get out. You know what I mean? And then he, yeah. it's like it was like he was distracting <clears throat> them somehow. It was pretty smart. Yeah, and and then at this point in the story, Andy, he's knee deep or waist deep, I'd say, in this money laundering scheme by the warden. Yeah, and so it just goes to show he's he's willing to be the good worker bee, and whereas rather if Shawshank were set today. He'd do this for a while, gain the warden's trust, and then anonymously blow blow the whistle. Yeah, but if they if he did do that, then they would have do framed him or something. Hey oh. Anyway, two people better. <laughs> Good. Um, but no, I agree. Like, how would he have gotten away with that? I mean, they they, you know, like he all you had to do back then if you wanted to get rid of the books was literally throw away the books. Yeah, like that's kind of what the warden was basically doing. Like he was there, like burning all this stuff. Or right, and he, and he stole all the books. Right, and that would happen. Like he stole the books. Yeah, and, and then blows the whistle. And then we get to the get to the scene where this is where I think the fifth, the too long fifteen minutes comes in, because then you got Tommy Williams, this little Elvis wannabe. Oh, you mean the whole Tommy segment? The whole Tommy segment. You could have cut that out. You could cut just cut it down to, hey, this guy Tommy showed up, and oh, he he word got around, and he told Andy about this. I think, um... Because the, the whole GED segment, I mean, while it's a good story, I, I just didn't see the point of it in the movie. Because uh, th- at this point, you already know that Andy's a decent human being. I think Tommy represents... For, I think, okay, so I think Tommy represents... Um, here's a theory I always have. How long did Andy Dufresne build that tunnel? Right? Probably pretty long. 
Yeah, it's an escape twenty years in the making. But here's my here's my thing is I always thought to myself that, especially in hindsight, knowing that he builds that tunnel, he probably spent like what an extra like three months in there with Tommy four. Sure, me. Let's say six, just for just for six, the sake right? of argument. Why? I don't think Andy would have. I think Andy was done with the tunnel by then. I don't think Andy. Pretty damn close I think, to it. I think the Tommy thing. Tommy represented a way for Andy to. Be, it was like his attach. It became his attachment to the cell, as opposed to just Red, who was like his friend and stuff. Tommy became like his kid brother, right? So he was. It was like someone to make sure that he like. Stayed in the prison cell. Or kept his humanity. Kept his humanity a little bit. And then Tommy gets killed. And then after Tommy gets killed, it's like, boom, escape. And I think that, like, that was, like, his last little attachment to Shawshank. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like Andy Dufresne may have found... There's officially nothing here for me anymore. Exactly. and also I'm like, done with this shit. Yeah. Like, he... And, you know, I think it was also a case of, um, like, yeah, like... He, he did start making Shawshank his home. Yeah. Shawshank did become his home after a while. But then, before Tommy's killed, yeah. because the warden hears about about this very thing, you hear about Elmo Blatch, who is apparently the real killer of Andy's wife and her lover, so we're going to play the minute-long clip right now. By the Okay, yeah. Elmo Blatch. Big, twitchy fucker. Kind of roomy you pray you don't get. Got me this job one time, bussing tables at a country club. So I could case all these big, rich pricks that come in. So I pick out this guy, go in one night, and do his place. He wakes up, gives me shit. So I killed him. Him and this tasty bitch he was with. <laughs> It's the best part. She's fucking this prixie, this golf pro, but she married some other guy. Some hotshot banker. And he's the one they pinned it on. Elmo Blatch. Kind of roomy you pray you don't get. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I uh, certainly would not want a roommate like Elmo Blatch. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I mean, his name is Elmo Blatch. Yeah, it was, it was like the, the forties and fifties. Oh, just dropped my phone. Sorry, you can't really hold that against him. Having the name like Elmo Blatch. Yeah, but then it, here's another hole in the plot. So, you got to figure, Andy's he's in prison, but why didn't he just write to a lawyer upon hearing all this? Because the warden puts him in the hole. He should get out, write to a lawyer, like. I don't know. You got to figure he's got somebody on the outside. Or, uh, Andy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's a question I always had, right? I, like, I mean, does was, he I mean, have anybody I, on the outside? I mean, you could say for the era, everyone just kind of cut him off after he was convicted. Yeah, or Andy might have not had anybody to begin with. You know, I mean, like his wife could have been like, yeah, been you're like right. a self-made man. Yeah, but here, here we really see the Warren just as great a villain as he is. Um, he's like right in his prime because pretty much. Tells Andy, hey, you make any more noise about this, the library's gone. Try me. I dare you. Mm. And then has Tommy killed over it just in case something gets out? Yeah. I mean, he's like, no, Andy belongs to me. He's too valuable. He goes, he goes. I go up shit's creek, and I don't have anyone to launder my money anymore. 
Yeah. No, so, yeah, just in case of Bob guns and crushing it per usual. Oh, you mean, um... The Warden, yeah. 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 And then we get to the talk about Zihuatanejo, where he wants to go in Mexico off the Pacific. Yeah. And the way he describes it, you can just tell that that's his Shangri-La, just the, the ultimate end spot, utopia. Yeah. And, like, it just goes that maybe cabin fever's finally setting in. Maybe he's thought about this for a while. But just to have that one thing to hold on to, oh, this could happen, that could happen, you, you got to figure out, for him to do that for almost 20 years, he's got, Andy Dufresne's got to be a stronger individual than he looks. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, even the very beginning of the movie, he does cry once. I lost, I lost 10 books that day, and he didn't even say a word the entire night. You know what I mean? Like, why is he... So strong. But it's kind of like, a, it's not, I mean, what's the difference between strong and empty, you know what I mean? Like, a man who has nothing left to lose, is is that someone who's strong, or is that just someone who's just going to take it and not give a shit? Yeah, either way, it's, it's just a testament to the strength of the character, I'd say. And then finally, roll call comes, and sure enough, guess what happens? Andy's escaped. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and just like the visual where the warden is freaking out that Andy's gone, play with this excellent piece of music right here by Newman. Wait for it. And boom. So, just the visual... <laughs> Eddie's really enjoying this right now. And then just the, the visual of him taking the rocks, throwing them at the poster of that. by then it's Raquel Welsh. <laughs> and he's baptizing himself with ice cubes. And then you, you see the hole poked in. Finally, he he says, wait, how big is it? Rips a little poster apart, and then all of a sudden there's this manhunt. So as we mentioned before, it's an escape 20 years in the making. And he does it by grabbing a suit and the warden's shoes, because honestly, who looks at a man's shoes? Wasn't there also the part where they asked him to throw that away, and he was like, oh yeah, sure. Like early on in the movie, or am I just making that up? Like he just yeah. had that stuff. Oh, they they made they made a uh, a fuss about the Rita Hayworth poster. No, not that. I mean the actual clothing and the shoes. Like he had that stuff, but it was like, how did you have that again? It's like he stole it like early on in the movie. No, forgot. yeah, it wasn't early on in the movie. Uh, but here's my question: because so here's this event, twenty years in the making, or nineteen, however many, and he manages a perfect escape from the prison. How did he know where to dig? How did he know where the sewer pipes were? Did, what, did someone steal the schematics for him? Or is this movie magic? Should I just roll with it? I think they stole the schematics. Yeah, but you don't see that in the movie. Yeah, let me look that up. Because I'm pretty sure... I'm sorry, we watched this... I watched this, like, yesterday, but I've also been focusing on it, too, think. Um... Yeah, because from what I remember, he's not looking at blueprints. Maybe, maybe they're there for a hot minute. But either way, it's the perfect escape. It's almost too perfect. Times it during a lightning storm so you can break the sewer pipe. Yes. Yeah. You don't need to worry about find, finding that part in the plot. But then he's finally crawling through the river of shit, smell, and foulness mm -hmm. that Red describes. And you got to figure the ultimate freedom. He gets out in the rain after crawling 500 yards, rips his shirt off, and then just feels the element on his bare skin. Such a great moment. That's the ultimate freedom. Uh-huh. And then finally, 
because he's kind of set this up with an alias, with <clears throat> with uh, fake accounts, fake social security. Yes. Uh, suddenly the cops are coming for the guards and the warden. Yes. And the warden, he has this sign in his office. I forget the quote, but it's like, only God can judge. And this is where Christianity bites him in the ass. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Bible can't help him now, and rather than face the music and repent for his sin, he instead commits the ultimate sin in taking his own life. Ironic, isn't it? Yeah. And <clears throat> it's just such a great visual. Can we also talk about the fact that the he was using the name, he was using like Randall Simmons. Wendell Stevens. Yeah, like the fake name the entire time that he was in order to launder the money, only for him to then decide, yeah, I'm going to be Wendell Stevens now. And take the money out. Like, how smart is it that he used, like, that he, like, laundered all of his money and then was able to, like, use it later on? Like, he was just... It's, like, the best escape ever. It, it really is. Just, like, you gotta figure... So that, that goes to prove my point that he was playing an escape all along. Oh, yeah, he was playing an escape since the rock hammer, man. Yeah. Yeah, and then... I'm just saying he was planning an escape, but, like, what did, like, I think the Tommy situation was, like, the bump in the road of the escape, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, because that's the one time you don't hear about, the, really, the warden. You don't really hear any other details about the, like, the entire movie you hear about plot. You hear all the parts where he's going to escape, like, everything he's going to use. Like, I do believe there is a blueprint in the, like, the crappy part of the library. I think, like, there is a There has section. to be, yeah. Because there, there is no other way for him to get out. Maybe it's a deleted scene, I don't know. I think it's shown for, like, a second. I think it's okay. just like a thing that's like, but I, I don't know, man. Yeah, and then and then they only find some old prison clothes and a pair of shoes. Well, I mean, he also could have like twenty years. He couldn't navigate. He could have like broken through the wall and then like been like, oh, I'm here. I'll figure out another spot next week. And then like he could have yeah, actually, no, that's true he too. Plotted that, and then he probably knew about a rainstorm coming. Yeah, it's probably all explained. And I just don't remember. Yeah, and then. You get to the point where all the guys are reminiscing about him. Yeah. It's kind of like the reverse Cool Hand Luke where Luke is shot and everyone's like just remembering, oh, he's gone now. But now they're just saying, hey, we miss our friend We're and we got to live without him. They don't try to deify him. He's, he's just one of the guys. You know what's really sad about it is it's a very opposite version of the Brooks is here situation. Yeah. Because at the end, the guys are like, yo, man, I really do... Like, no one really talks that much about Brooks after he kills himself, except for Andy creates the museum. Yeah. But Brooks has to, like, actively write, Brooks was here before he dies. Meanwhile, Andy sleaze without a word, and everybody's like, yo, you know what I miss? Andy Frame. He's like, mm-hmm. like, yo, I was just thinking that. <laughs> I miss that guy. <laughs> yeah, nice. and then later on, Red's paroled, because the, the second time he said the same thing he did earlier, oh, yeah, I'm good to go. They deny him. The third time, it's after the after the warden's mess is cleaned up. It's after Andy's gone. And he basically says, look, rehabilitate, it's a word. I feel good to go, but honestly, do what you want. I don't give a rat's ass anymore. And all of a sudden, he's free. Yeah. It's like the secret to getting in one is not giving a shit, I guess. Oh, hey, you know, I answered the question from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. The podcast. <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah, because what are you supposed to say? Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I don't listen. I don't care anymore. What you just say no to me? I hate you. Yeah, and then you see, he says you, you get the the rewind back to when, when Andy says, "Hey, if you ever get out of here, go to the town Buxton, where where the hayfields are, 
find a rock wall, go to the big oak tree at the north end. Right there you'll see a, uh, a rock that looks like it has no place being there. Bury under that and look for a box. Yeah, I'm so glad that he followed all those directions to a T. Yeah. You think about that? He's like, he was like, nah, you crazy white boy. <laughs> and then he's got back to him. It's like, oh, I hate that. I hate this idea. And then somehow there's there's the line, hey, Red, remember that place I told you about? Ziwatanejo. So which I say, okay, impressive that he remembers it. Yeah, honestly, I can't remember any, I can't remember like half the conversations friends tell me. Like my friends are like, yeah. hey, what's up? And I'm like, do we not have this conversation with me? <laughs> and then, or like, someone would be like, yo, I got, I got this problem in my life. I'm like, I feel like, that was my first, like I remember one time, somebody was like, yeah, remember that time I was telling you that I was homeless? And I was like, you wait, what? And he was like, yeah, like 45 minutes ago. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but of course, he can't remember Zihuatanewa, Mexico. Like, yeah, probably. Right? Be, you can't even read. I think it's because, well, obviously he can't because he read the postcard. And he was oh, able, and he right, was able right. to be Andy's assistant during tax season. And so then you get the the quote that stays with everyone. Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. A good thing never dies. Nope. Because on top of that, the whole point of being on parole or in prison is at some point hoping for something better. Yeah. Yeah, and then Red breaks parole to get that, meets up with Andy and Zihuatanejo on the beach, gets a bus to Texas... You violates his parole in doing so. Can you? Well, yeah, because, well, I mean, being said, no one was looking for that. No one was looking for Red at that point. Yeah. Like, like what's he going to do? He's a 65-year-old man. Yeah. But I would say it is funny that it's like, and then I went to the beach, and then it's just like, and he's just like, yo, what's up? I've been on this beach for like six weeks waiting for you, man. What up? I don't have a house. I just live on this beach. <laughs> it's such a great it's, ending, though. It's a big beach. How, how did he not think to himself... Oh, shit, what part of the beach? Have you guys ever gone to a beach? You know how big a beach is? Yeah. You know how big a beach is? And yet it's like... Andy Dufresne is just on the beach, just kicking out on the plane. Well, here's the thing. And he could have been asleep. And he could have been... Yeah, but here's the thing. At this point, it's the early 60s. You gotta gotta figure... Red goes to Mexico, asks the local, Hey, which way to the white guy? (laughs) (laughs) Which way to the uh, white guy who shouldn't be here? He looks like he Shawshank redeemed himself. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a proposition So Red's out of prison He's working the same grocery bagging job that Brooks was Living in the same exact room that Brooks was And all of a sudden he car- You see Brooks was here, he carves, so was Red Goes down to Mexico What if it was all a dream and Red actually killed himself? You know I thought about that? Um, okay, so I'm not crazy No, I mean, I think it's a pretty I think um, there's nothing wrong I think for the movie that it what that it is, um, I don't think that is active. You know what I mean? Because Red still is narrating by the end of it. I just think like yeah, but but there there have been movies where the narrator has passed on to the other side. No, yeah, I just I don't think it's like an occurrence that like uh, you know Owl Creek Road type situation or Owl Creek or whatever you call it. It's like an occurrence storyline where he's like hanging himself in the last five seconds. They're like it's a good idea, but I think the movie. Doesn't is like real. I think the movie is not gonna allow for that type of surrealism. Does that make sense? Yeah. Only because there are certain movies that allow for that, and I think Shawshank. Red is such like Red would be an impossible unreliable narrator. You know what I mean? Yeah. For him to suddenly kill himself and then have an unreliable ending, that sounds a little weird to me. That's all I'm saying. Not only that, but if Red kills himself and then we know it's a dream, 
And how do we know that Andy's actually okay in the end, too? You know what I mean? Like That's true. It's like, it's a bad ending for both of them. It's not yeah. just a bad ending for Red. Um, and I think the reason why Red doesn't kill himself is because the difference between Brooks and Red is that Red never lost his hope. While Brooks lost his hope. Because his hope, Red's legitimate hope was Andy Dufresne. I guess you could say Andy's the great red hope or whatever. <laughs> but the fact is, yeah, um, Andy represents not just hope, but also um, freedom. And Red needed that. And I think that's why, I think that's the whole ending of that movie is that, like, hope is a beautiful thing. Don't lose hope or you end up like, you know, Brooks, whatever. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty much the movie, but let's close out with some trivia like we always do. And like we did with, with Field of Dreams, at least. Okay. Yeah. So, let's see. I found it here. First off, it was the most rented movie of 1995. Not surprising. Not surprising at all. Feels like it is the most rented movie of 1995. I feel like it's a movie that wasn't really popular when it came out. And it was like well, yeah, because look what it had to compete with. Yeah, and it was like probably rented like a boatload. Like yeah. When it came out, and then people were like, oh, I love this movie. Here's interesting. Jeff Bridges, Tom Hanks, Kevin Costner, Tom Cruise, Nicolas yep. Cage, Johnny Depp, and Charlie Sheen. All for the part of Vanity Fair. That's right. Hanks turned it down because of Forrest Gump. I mean, not a bad choice at all. Kevin Costner, on the other hand, turned it down for Waterworld. I did know that. I mean, I, I personally like Waterworld, but... Oh, Mike fell because of the cat. There we go. Sorry, guys. Yeah. That. You might want to write that in the description that around that moment it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. here's something else I wanted, I wanted to talk about because I forgot to put this down. We're going to backtrack a lot right here. So Kevin Costner's found our way into our podcast twice. <laughs> we love you, Kevin. Love Come you. on and do an interview. Yeah, because... Anyway, so I'm going to set this up for you while you're getting more water. Yeah. So uh, consider this. The first conversation... Um, Red says to Andy, oh, everyone here is innocent, because there's the typical thing, oh, the lawyer screwed me, the judge had out for me, unfair trial, I'm innocent, I didn't do anything, but then Red says, I'm the one guilty man in Shawshank. I mean, what is it about him? He's like, no, I, I did what I did, I belong here, whereas everyone else is, is not. I mean, I don't really, there's not really isn't anything within the the character of Red that suggests why he would do that, you know? I think, so, I have a very fun theory about this. I think it's to set him up as the most reliable of narrators ever. Um, huh. Because everyone's innocent, right? Mm-hmm. As a narrator, he could say, yeah, I was innocent, right? But there's still, like, a hint of that he's unreliable, right? Because everybody's innocent. Barely, yeah. But if he says I'm guilty, well, then suddenly you know, well, he's not going to lie to He's not going to lie to you. He's not, like, going to lie to you at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because who in prison has ever admitted, I'm the one guilty, I'm the one guilty guy here. Well, now as a narrator, we know he's not going to lie to you as a narrator. Yeah. He actually said Jeff as the perfect narrator because he's willing to admit his own faults. Either way, um, Shawshank Redemption, phenomenal movie. Yep. Uh, I need to watch it three times over. It's, it's one of those movies that never gets old. It's, it's not perfect, but... It's definitely up there. So I thought it was rather than Forrest Gump. I'm sorry. Different kind of movie. It's a completely different kind of movie, but I think for I think it should have won. I know it was like the black horse. To... Yeah. Uh, either way, phenomenal film. Definitely watch it. 
It's Shawshank Redemption, directed by Frank Darabont. Yeah, you know the movie. Yeah, it's, like I said, it's been. I don't. I didn't feel bad spoiling it because it's been on so many times. I swear to God, if you needed us to tell you the Shawshank Redemption and the director, you probably, you, you probably need to watch this movie. This is a movie that you you've definitely seen several times from start to finish, not even realized it. No, oh, this is a movie that you probably were like you fell asleep watching at one point because you were like, yeah, you were like, I just have a day and it was just on. Anyway, so... You probably one time turned off Shawshank Redemption and went to another network, and it was also playing Shawshank Redemption. I swear to God, you probably... You probably had Shawshank Redemption on once and have been through a breakup. You probably have had Shawshank Redemption on while doing your homework. You probably got angry at your mother or your father. You might have also gotten angry at your boss. But there's one thing you're never angry at, and that's the Shawshank Redemption. Because it's a good movie. It's a great movie. If you don't... If you haven't watched Shawshank... Listen, okay? Listen to me. If you haven't watched it, go go home. Hug your hug your loved ones and then and then and then commit a crime and go to jail. Because, don't don't do that, because, no. no. I'm advocate because you need to Shawshank redeem yourself in the eyes of 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 America and learn discipline and the Bible. And maybe, just maybe, you need to learn to get busy living or get busy dying. Anyway, so before Eddie goes off on a further tangent, um, tangent? Follow, us on, follow us on Twitter, video underscore vault PC. Again, that's video underscore vault PC on Twitter. Like us on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter. Eddie is, uh, I always forget your Twitter handle. My Twitter is irrelevant because this is Shawshank we're talking about. <laughs> Seriously, what's your Twitter? Eddie underscore Doug at ShawshankRedemption.org. <laughs> Eddie underscore Doug on Twitter. You can find me, JB's World 3286 on Twitter. We'll be back on Sunday, October 1st, kicking off our Halloween series with the original Dracula. we got to figure out when we're going to record that. But anyway, that's all from the Video Vault. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can stay in the vault as long as you'd like. Just don't forget to lock up.